LearnOutloud.com presents the U.S. President's Podcast. Each episode will provide a brief biographical portrait of a president, explore the eras in which they led their country, and assess the historical significance they hold for us today. This is a podcast for those who wish to gain a complete knowledge of the Commander-in-Chief. For a complete listing of our educational podcasts, including links to subscribe, please visit our website at www.learnoutloud.com podcast. Second Term, 1985-1989 Reagan was sworn in as president for the second time on January 20, 1985, in a private ceremony at the White House. The public ceremony took place in the Capitol Rotunda the next day, because January 20th fell on a Sunday. Thus, no public celebration was held. January 21st was one of the coldest days on record in Washington, D.C., and due to the low temperatures and large snowfall the night before, inaugural celebrations were held inside the Capitol. In 1985, Reagan visited a German military cemetery in Bitburg to lay a wreath with West German Chancellor Helmut Kohl. It was determined that the cemetery held the graves of 49 members of the Waffen-SS. Reagan issued a statement that called the Nazi soldiers buried in that cemetery victims, which ignited a stir over whether Reagan had equated the SS men to Holocaust victims. Pat Buchanan, director of communications under Reagan, argued that the notion was false. Now strongly urged to cancel the visit, the president responded that it would be wrong to back down on a promise he had made to Chancellor Cole. He attended the ceremony, where two military generals laid a wreath. The Reagan administration was criticized for its slow response to the growing HIV-AIDS epidemic. As thousands became infected with the virus, President Reagan did not increase funding to try to discover cures. Rather, he downplayed the situation and acknowledged only that it was an issue of concern at the May 31, 1987 Third International Conference on AIDS in Washington. The War on Drugs Midway into his second term, Reagan declared more militant policies in the war on drugs. He said that drugs were menacing our society, and promised to fight for drug-free schools and workplaces, expanded drug treatment, he said that drugs were menacing our society and promised to fight for drug-free schools and workplaces, expanded drug treatment, stronger law enforcement and drug interdiction efforts, and greater public awareness. In October 1986, Reagan signed a drug enforcement bill that budgeted $1.7 billion to fund the war on drugs and specified a mandatory minimum penalty for drug offenses. The bill was criticized for promoting significant racial disparities in the prison population because of the differences in sentencing for crack and powder cocaine. Critics also charged that the administration's policies did little to actually reduce the availability of drugs or crime on the street while resulting in a great financial and human cost for American society. Defenders of the effort point to success in reducing rates of adolescent drug use. First Lady Nancy Reagan made the war on drugs one of her main priorities by founding the Just Say No Drug Awareness Campaign, which aimed to discourage children and teenagers from engaging in recreational drug use by offering various ways of saying no. Mrs. Reagan traveled to 65 cities in 33 states, raising awareness about the dangers of drugs and alcohol.
The Challenger Disaster The disintegration of the space shuttle Challenger on January 28, 1986, proved a pivotal moment in Reagan's presidency. The shuttle had left Kennedy's Space Center in Florida and disintegrated 73 seconds after liftoff. All seven astronauts aboard, including Krista McAuliffe, who was to be the first teacher in space, were killed. On the night of the disaster, Reagan had been scheduled to deliver his annual State of the Union address. But he postponed the address and gave a national address on the Challenger disaster from the Oval Office. The speech was largely written by Peggy Noonan. Reagan said that night, The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for their journey, and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Historians and commentators largely lauded Reagan's speech. John Robert Green, professor of history at Casanova College, said, The defining Reagan moment for me was the Challenger disaster. Ronald Reagan exhibited that quality that I call the chief soother. Three days later, the Reagans traveled to the Johnson Space Center to attend a memorial service honoring the astronauts. Relations between Libya and the United States under President Reagan were continually contentious, beginning with the Gulf of Sidra incident in 1981. These tensions were later revived in April 1986, when a bomb exploded in a Berlin discotheque, resulting in injuries to 63 American military personnel and one death of a serviceman. Citing that there was irrefutable proof that Libya had directed the terrorist bombing, Reagan authorized the use of force against the country. In the late evening of April 15, 1986, the U.S. launched a series of airstrikes on ground targets in Libya. The attack was designed to halt Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi's ability to export terrorism, offering him, quote, incentives and reasons to alter his criminal behavior, end quote. After the attacks had commenced, the president addressed the nation from the Oval Office, saying, when our citizens are attacked or abused anywhere in the world, on the direct orders of hostile regimes, we will respond so long as I'm in this office. He justified the attack by accusing Libya of direct responsibility for terrorism aimed at the U.S. Immigration In 1986, Reagan signed the Immigration Reform and Control Act. The act made it illegal to knowingly hire or recruit illegal immigrants, required employers to attest to their employees' immigration status, and granted amnesty to approximately 3 million illegal immigrants who entered the United States prior to January 1, 1982, and had lived in this country continuously. Critics of the act claimed that its laws subjecting employers to sanctions were without teeth, and that it failed to stem illegal immigration. Upon signing the act at a ceremony held beside the newly refurbished Statue of Liberty, Reagan said, The legalization provisions in this act will go far to improve the lives of a class of individuals who must now hide in the shadows, 
without access to many of the benefits of a free and open society. Very soon, many of these men and women will be able to step into the sunlight, and, ultimately, if they choose, they may become Americans. The Iran-Contra Affair In 1986, a scandal shook the administration, stemming from the use of proceeds from covert arms sales to Iran, to fund the Nicaraguan Contras in defiance of an act of Congress. The Iran-Contra Affair became the largest political scandal in the United States during the 1980s. The International Court of Justice, whose jurisdiction to decide the case was disputed, ruled that the U.S. had violated international law in Nicaragua due to its obligations not to intervene in the affairs of other states. President Reagan professed ignorance of the plot's existence. He appointed two Republicans and one Democrat. He appointed two Republicans, John Tower and Brent Scowcroft, and one Democrat, Edmund Muskie, to investigate the scandal. Known as the Tower Commission, the three men could not find direct evidence that Reagan had prior knowledge of the program, but criticized him heavily for his disengagement from managing his staff, thus making the diversion of funds possible. A separate report by Congress concluded that, if the President did not know what his national security advisors were doing, he should have. Reagan's popularity declined from 67% to 46% in less than a week, the greatest and quickest decline to date for a president. The scandal resulted in 14 indictments within Reagan's staff and 11 convictions. Many Central Americans criticized Reagan for his support of the Contras, saying he was an anti-communist zealot blinded to human rights issues, while many others say he saved Central America. Daniel Ortega, former Sandinistan and current president of Nicaragua, said that he hoped God would forgive Reagan for his, quote, dirty war against Nicaragua, end quote. The End of the Cold War By the early 1980s, the USSR had built up a military arsenal and army surpassing that of the United States. Previously, the U.S. had relied on the qualitative superiority of its weapons to essentially frighten the Soviets, but the gap had been narrowed. After President Reagan's military buildup, the Soviet Union did not further dramatically build up its military. The enormous military expenses, in combination with collectivized agriculture and inefficient planned manufacturing, were a heavy burden for the Soviet economy. At the same time, the Reagan administration persuaded Saudi Arabia to increase oil production, which resulted in three oil price drops in 1985 alone. Since oil was the main source of Soviet export revenues, this, along with other factors, brought the Soviet economy to a stagnant state during Gorbachev's tenure. Ronald Reagan recognized the change in the direction of Soviet leadership with Gorbachev and shifted to diplomacy with a view to encourage the Soviet leader to pursue substantial arms agreements. Gorbachev agreed to meet Reagan in four summit conferences held around the world. The first, in Geneva, Switzerland. The second, in Reykjavik, Iceland. The third, in Washington, D.C. And the fourth, 
in Moscow. Reagan believed that if he could persuade the Soviets to allow for more democracy and free speech, this would lead to reform and to the end of communism. Speaking at the Berlin Wall on June 12, 1987, Reagan challenged Gorbachev. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Prior to Gorbachev visiting Washington, D.C. for the Third Summit in 1987, the Soviet leader announced his intention to pursue significant arms agreements. The timing of the announcement led Western diplomats to state that Gorbachev was offering major concessions to the United States on the levels of conventional forces, nuclear weapons, and policy in Eastern Europe. However, Gorbachev denied ever doing so. He and Reagan signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which eliminated an entire class of nuclear weapons. When Reagan visited Moscow for the Fourth Summit in 1988, he was viewed as a celebrity by Russians. A journalist asked if the president still considered the Soviet Union the evil empire. No, he replied, I was talking about another time, another era. At Gorbachev's request, Reagan gave a speech on free markets at Moscow State University. In his autobiography, An American Life, Reagan expressed his optimism about the new direction that they charted, his warm feelings for Gorbachev, and his concern for Gorbachev's safety because he pushed reform so hard. I was concerned for his safety, Reagan wrote. I've still worried about him. How hard and fast can he push reforms without risking his life? Beginning in 1989, the Berlin Wall was torn down. Two years later, the Soviet Union collapsed. Reagan's Health and Well-Being On July 13, 1985, Reagan underwent surgery at Bethesda Naval Hospital to remove cancerous polyps from his colon. This caused the first-ever invocation of the Acting President Clause of the 25th Amendment. The surgery lasted just under three hours and was successful. Reagan resumed the powers of the presidency later that day. Two months later, he underwent an operation to remove skin cancer cells from his nose. A month after that, additional skin cancer cells that were detected on his nose were removed. Two years later, Reagan underwent surgery for an enlarged prostate, which caused further worries about his health. However, no cancerous growths were found, and he was not sedated during the operation. That July, at age 76, he underwent a third skin cancer operation on his nose. Earlier in his presidency, Reagan started wearing custom-built, technologically advanced hearing aids, first in his right ear and later in both ears. His decision to go public with his wearing the small audio-amplifying devices boosted their sales. The Judiciary During his 1980 campaign, Reagan pledged that, if given the opportunity, he would appoint the first female Supreme Court justice. That opportunity came in his first year in office, 
he nominated Sandra Day O'Connor to fill the vacancy created by the retirement of Justice Potter Stewart. In his second term, Reagan elevated William Rehnquist to succeed Warren Burger as Chief Justice and named Antonin Scalia to fill the vacant seat. In 1987, when Associate Justice Lewis Powell retired, Reagan nominated conservative jurist Robert Bork to the High Court. Within 45 minutes of Bork's nomination, Senator Ted Kennedy, a Democrat from Massachusetts, strongly condemned Bork, declaring, Robert Bork's America is a land in which women would be forced into back-alley abortions and that blacks would sit at segregated lunch counters. These comments stunned the Reagan White House. Though conservatives considered Kennedy's accusations slanderous smears, the attacks went unanswered for two and a half months. Bork's nomination was rejected by the Senate in a vote of 58 to 42. Anthony Kennedy was eventually confirmed in his place. Reagan appointed many leading conservative academics to the intermediate United States Courts of Appeal, including Bork, Ralph K. Winter, Jr., Richard Posner, and Frank Easterbrook. The Post-Presidential Years For the first five years, after the end of Reagan's presidency in 1989, the Reagans traveled from their Bel Air home to the Reagan Ranch in Santa Barbara every few months. They regularly attended Bel Air Presbyterian Church and occasionally made appearances on behalf of the Republican Party, including a well-received speech at the 1992 Republican National Convention. Previously, on November 4, 1991, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library was dedicated and opened to the public. At the dedication ceremonies, five presidents were in attendance, as well as six first ladies, marking the first time five presidents were in the same location at the same time. He continued to publicly speak in favor of a line-item veto, a constitutional amendment requiring a balanced budget, and the repeal of the 22nd Amendment, which prohibits a president from serving more than two terms. In 1992, Reagan established the Ronald Reagan Freedom Award with the newly formed Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation. His final public speech was on February 3, 1994, during a tribute in Washington, D.C. His last major public appearance was at the funeral of fellow Republican President Richard Nixon on April 27, 1994. Alzheimer's Disease Announcement and Reaction In August 1994, at the age of 83, Ronald Reagan was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, an incurable neurological disorder which ultimately causes brain cells to die. That November, he informed the nation via a handwritten letter, writing in part, I have recently been told that I am one of the millions of Americans who will be afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. At the moment, I feel just fine. I intend to live the remainder of the years God gives me on this earth, doing the things I have always done. I now begin the journey that will lead me into the sunset of my life. I know that for America, there will always be a bright dawn ahead. Thank you, my friends. May God always bless you. After his diagnosis, letters of support from well-wishers poured into his California home. 
But there was also speculation over how long Reagan had demonstrated symptoms of mental degeneration. Former CBS White House correspondent Leslie Stahl recalls an interview when he was president where, quote, a vacant Reagan barely seemed to realize anyone else was in the room, and that before he had re-emerged into alertness, she recalls that, quote, I had come close to reporting that Reagan was senile, end quote. But Dr. Lawrence K. Altman, a physician employed as a reporter for the New York Times, noted that, the line between mere forgetfulness and the beginning of Alzheimer's can be fuzzy, and all four of Reagan's White House doctors say that they saw no evidence of Alzheimer's while he was president. Dr. John E. Hutton, Reagan's primary physician from 1984 to 1989, said that the president absolutely did not show any signs of dementia or Alzheimer's. Reagan did experience occasional memory lapses, though, especially with names. Once, while meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Yasuhiro Nakasone, he repeatedly referred to Vice President Bush as Prime Minister Bush. Reagan's doctors, however, note that he only began exhibiting overt symptoms of the illness in late 1992 or 1993, several years after he had left office. His former Chief of Staff, James Baker, considered ludicrous the idea of Reagan sleeping during cabinet meetings. Other staff members, former aides and friends, say they saw no indication of Alzheimer's while he was president. Complicating the picture, Reagan suffered an episode of head trauma in July 1989, five years prior to his diagnosis. After being thrown from a horse in Mexico, a subdural hematoma was found and surgically treated later in the year. Nancy Reagan asserts that her husband's 1989 fall hastened the onset of Alzheimer's disease, citing what doctors told her, although head trauma has not been conclusively proven to accelerate Alzheimer's. Reagan's one-time physician, Dr. Daniel Rouge, has said, however, it is possible but not certain that the horse accident affected Reagan's memory. The Progression as years went on, the disease slowly destroyed Reagan's mental capacity. He was able to recognize only a few people other than his wife, Nancy. He remained active, however. He took walks through parks near his home and on beaches, played golf regularly, and often went to his office in nearby Century City. In January 2001, Reagan suffered a fall at his Bel Air home resulting in a broken hip. The fracture was repaired the following day, and the 89-year-old Reagan returned home later that week, although he faced difficult physical therapy there. On February 6, 2001, Reagan reached the age of 90, becoming the third former U.S. president to do so, the other two being John Adams and Herbert Hoover, and later Gerald Ford. Reagan's public appearances became much less frequent with the progression of his Alzheimer's, and as a result, his family decided that he would live in quiet isolation. Nancy Reagan told CNN's Larry King in 2001 that very few visitors were allowed to see her husband because she felt that Ronnie would want people to remember him as he was. Since his diagnosis and death, Mrs. Reagan has become a stem cell research advocate, 
urging Congress and President George W. Bush to support federal funding for embryonic stem cell research, something President Bush opposes. Mrs. Reagan has said that she believes it could lead to a cure for Alzheimer's. Death Former President Reagan died at his home in Bel Air, California, on June 5, 2004. A short time after his death, Nancy Reagan released a statement saying, My family and I would like the world to know that President Ronald Reagan has passed away after 10 years of Alzheimer's disease, at 93 years of age. We appreciate everyone's prayers. President George W. Bush declared June 11th a National Day of Mourning, and tributes came in from around the world. Reagan's body was taken to the Kingsley and Gates Funeral Home in Santa Monica, California, later in the day, where well-wishers paid tribute by laying flowers and American flags in the grass. On June 7th, his body was removed and taken to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, where a brief family funeral service was held. His body lay in repose in the library lobby until June 9th. In all, over 100,000 people viewed the coffin. On June 9th, Reagan's body was flown to Washington, D.C., where he became the 10th U.S. president to lie in state. In the 34 hours that it lay there, 104,684 people filed past the coffin. On June 11th, a state funeral was conducted in the Washington National Cathedral, presided over by President George W. Bush. Eulogies were given by former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, former Canadian Prime Minister Bryant Mulroney, and both Presidents Bush. Also in attendance were Mikhail Gorbachev and many world leaders, including British Prime Minister Tony Blair, German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, and Interim Presidents Habib Karzai of Afghanistan and Ghazi al-Yawar of Iraq. His burial site is inscribed with these words, which he delivered at the opening of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. I know in my heart that man is good, that what is right will always eventually triumph, and that there is purpose and worth to each and every life. Reagan's Legacy Ronald Reagan's legacy is mixed, with supporters pointing to a more efficient and prosperous economy and a peaceful end to the Cold War. Critics argue that his economic policies caused huge budget deficits, quadrupling the United States' national debt, and that the Iran-Contra affair lowered American credibility. Edward Fulner, president of the Heritage Foundation, said that Reagan helped create a safer, freer world, and said of his economic policies, he took an America suffering from malaise and made its citizens believe again in their destiny. However, Mark Weisbrot, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, said that Reagan's economic policies were mostly a failure, and Howard Kurtz of the Washington Post stated that Reagan was a far more controversial figure in his time than the largely gushing obits on television would suggest. The Cold War 
The Cold War was a major political and economic endeavor for over four decades, but the confrontation and depleted relations between the two superpowers decreased dramatically by the end of Reagan's presidency. The significance of Reagan's role in ending the Cold War has spurred contentious and opinionated debate. That Reagan had some role in contributing to the downfall of the Soviet Union is collectively agreed, but the extent of this role is continuously debated, with many believing that Reagan's defense policies, hardline rhetoric against the Soviet Union and communism, as well as summits with General Secretary Gorbachev, played a significant part in ending the Cold War. He was notable amongst post-World War II presidents as being convinced that the Soviet Union could be defeated rather than simply negotiated with, but his strong rhetoric toward the nation had mixed effects. Jeffrey W. Knopf, Ph.D., observes that being labeled evil probably made no difference to the Soviets, but gave encouragement to the East European citizens opposed to communism. That Reagan had little or no effect in ending the Cold War is argued with equal weight, that communism's internal weakness had become apparent, and that the Soviet Union would have collapsed in the end regardless of who was in power. President Harry Truman's policy of containment is also regarded as a force behind the fall of communism, and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan undermined the Soviet system itself. General Secretary Gorbachev said of his former rival's Cold War role, he was a man who was instrumental in bringing about the end of the Cold War, but labeled him as a hawk in the 1980s. Gorbachev does not acknowledge a win or loss in the war, but rather a peaceful end. He said he was not intimidated by Reagan's harsh rhetoric. Margaret Thatcher, former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, said of Reagan, he warned that the Soviet Union had an insatiable drive for military power but he also sensed it was being eaten away by systemic failures impossible to reform. She later stated, Ronald Reagan had a higher claim than any other leader to have won the Cold War for liberty, and he... Ronald Reagan had a higher claim than any other leader to have won the Cold War for liberty, and he did it without a shot being fired. Said Brian Mulroney, former Prime Minister of Canada, he enters history as a strong and dramatic player in the Cold War. Former President Lech Walesa of Poland acknowledged, Reagan was one of the world leaders who made a major contribution to communism's collapse. U.S. Politics Ronald Reagan reshaped the Republican Party, gave rise to the modern conservative movement, and altered the political dynamic of the United States. More men voted Republican under Reagan, and Reagan tapped into religious voters. The so-called Reagan Democrats were a result of his presidency. Bill Schneider, senior political analyst at CNN, said, The whole Republican Party traces its lineage, its legitimacy, to this one man. Since leaving office, Reagan has become an iconic influence within the Republican Party. His policies and beliefs have been frequently invoked by Republican presidential candidates since 1989. The 2008 Republican presidential candidates were no exceptions, for they aimed to liken themselves to him during the primary debates, even imitating his campaign strategies. 
Republican nominee John McCain frequently states that he came to office as a foot soldier in the Reagan Revolution. Cultural and Political Image According to columnist Chuck Rash, Reagan transformed the American presidency in ways that only a few have been able to. He redefined the political agenda of the times, advocating lower taxes, a liberal economic philosophy, and a stronger military. His role in the Cold War further enhanced his image as a different kind of leader. Reagan did not have the highest approval ratings as president, but his popularity has increased since 1989. A Gallup organization February 2001 poll asked respondents to name the greatest president in U.S. history. Reagan came in first, capturing 18% of the vote. In February 2007, another Gallup poll ranked him as number two with 16% of the vote after Abraham Lincoln. He ranked third with a 72% approval rating in a Rasmussen Report's July 2007 poll on presidents who served after World War II fifth in an ABC 2000 poll of the public, and ninth in another Rasmussen 2007 poll of Americans. In a Siena College survey of over 200 historians, Reagan ranked 16th out of 42 presidents. Reagan's ability to connect with the American people earned him the laudatory moniker, The Great Communicator. Of it, Reagan said, I won the nickname The Great Communicator, but I never thought it was my style that made a difference. It was the content. I wasn't a great communicator, but I communicated great things. Reagan also earned the nickname the Teflon President, which meant that public perceptions of him were not tarnished by the negative aspects of his administration. According to Congresswoman Patricia Schroeder and reporter Howard Kurtz, the epithet referred to Reagan's ability to do almost anything wrong and not get blamed for it. Public reaction to Reagan was always mixed. The oldest president was supported by young voters and began an alliance that shifted many of them to the Republican Party. He was not popular with all minority groups, especially blacks. He emphasized family values in his campaigns and during his presidency, although he was the first president to have been divorced. The President's Way of Speaking his pro-American rhetoric, negotiation skills, and use of the media all played a part in defining the 1980s and his legacy. Reagan was known to jibe frequently during his lifetime and was famous for his storytelling. His numerous jokes and one-liners have been labeled classic quips and legendary. Former aide David Gergen commented, It was that humor that I think endeared people to Reagan.